During this pandemic, one thing has become very clear to me. It's that life is too short to not be living your dream. What is your dream? Do you dream of becoming an interior designer? If so, you'll want to head over to affordableinteriordesign.com academy. There you'll find a quiz that will help you determine the best path for you to becoming an interior designer. Do you want to work at a high-end firm? Are you hoping to maybe open your own business? Or is this something that maybe you should just keep as a hobby? Head over to affordableinteriordesign.com academy. There you'll find a quiz that I personally crafted to help set you on the correct path to make your interior design dreams a reality. You don't need a high-end designer or a lot of money to get a luxe look. Be your own interior designer. This is Affordable Interior Design, the podcast. Here's your host, Betsy Hellman. Summer is winding down and we are looking towards fall, towards back to school. Everything feels so uncertain. I find myself still trying to just be in the moment, live day to day. How are you guys doing? I hope that you are thriving, surviving, out here, not only do we have to put up with the pandemic and school uncertainty and making those big decisions, but also we had a hurricane that took out our power for nearly a week. It just feels like 2020 is really putting us through our paces. The exciting thing is that at the company, we are really busy. Those clients are realizing that you know, they're going to need to find solutions for remote learning. They are going to be stuck at home a little bit longer, and they really want to make that transformation. So that has been an exciting opportunity amidst all the chaos. So over here, we're training new designers, getting them all ready to join the team and help us as we navigate these strange times when work is kind of off the hook busy, but life is sort of off the hook chaotic. Uh, So anyway, one exciting thing is that right when COVID started, Airbnb was offering like this free cancellation policy if you book. I guess they were trying to encourage people to book. So I booked a nice long vacation thinking, you know, I may not be able to actually take it, but I can cancel for free and I need to have something to look forward to. So many of those days were and potentially still are very dark and depressing that I really wanted that light at the end of the tunnel. So my family and I are going back to Rhode Island for 10 days tomorrow and I don't need it as badly as I thought, but I love squeezing every last drop out of summer, just like an orange. And I do get a lot of inspiration from being in Rhode Island, whether it's seeing these adorable beach cottages or we go to mansions like the Breakers and the Elms. And luckily, my kids are just as into it as I am. And so we're listening to our audio guide and talking about things and looking at their strange toilets that are covered by these sort of wicker baskets and their wallpaper that's got ribbon edging around the outside and um 
it's nice to be able to share my passion with the kids. And that's the great thing about interior design is that that's something that they can understand. My daughter will help me to create floor plans at night. My son will help me hunt for the perfect nightstand for a client. And unlike other vocations that might be too complicated for kids to understand, certainly there are some nuances that are more difficult. But overall, they know what it feels like to step on a plush rug. Do we want something super soft or would we rather have something low pile? They have a dog who might vomit on the rug like ours. So what should we be thinking about? And it's exciting to get them excited about my passion because they have rooms too. So they can really relate to how much they love their table lamp or how much they don't like their comforter because it's scratchy, right? So anyway, if you have kids and they are interested in interior design, it can be a really fun thing to talk about. And as people are calling me about the academy, they're saying that, you know, their parents told them when they were little that interior design just wasn't a vocation that was going to make a lot of money or that people steered them in a different direction as they were growing up. And so they moved away from their passion. And I'm here to tell you that the landscape has changed. What was possible 10, 20 years ago is such a different world than what's possible now. Now people feel that they should have good interior design. They know they can find pieces they can afford and they want that guidance. A while back, we didn't feel that way. We were working with a different mentality and set of rules. So now more than ever is a perfect time to become an interior designer and to inspire your kids to love interior design. Whether this will be their vocation or not, everybody is gonna have to furnish their home at some point. Uh, and we want them to be successful, maybe even without hiring a designer. All right, let's segue to your questions. That's enough of my jibber jabber. Um, we've got some great questions that have come in and my first is from Teresa. She writes, hi Betsy, this question isn't really for myself, but it's for a neighbor friend of mine who asked for my help. She is wanting to make her home look more sophisticated, but she's having a really hard time parting with all of her comic book, video game, and sci-fi memorabilia. She has posters, figurines throughout the whole house. It's a big long shot, but is there a way to sophisticatedly mesh the two? My initial thought is to have her pick out a few posters that she likes best, maybe one for each room to use as the inspiration piece. Then have them professionally framed with matting and also adding other kinds of wall art, like maybe a clock or a mirror. Do you have thoughts? Also, what about all those collectible figurines, many of whom are still in boxes? She wants to display them. Also, is there a certain type of design style that she should try and stick to when incorporating this stuff? Thanks for any insight you could provide. I love the show and have binged mostly all of it in a very short time. By the way, I'm a premium member. Keep up the good work, Teresa. Teresa, thanks so much for being a premium member. That's why your question went to the tippy top of the mailbag. And I'm excited to answer this for you and for your neighbor. So my husband has a similar situation. He is in TV, so he has lots of posters from movies, from TV that he's worked on, things that are very special to him, things that are maybe even valuable and signed. He has a lot of figurines and boxes as well. And I do feel like there is a sophisticated way to use them. 
The first thing that you want to do is not sprinkle them all over the room because they lose their power when there's one here, one there. It starts to look cluttery and less like an intentional moment. So there is a power in numbers, in grouping these. Perhaps she could get like a tall hutch piece or a curio cabinet. Maybe it has doors at the bottom. Maybe it has glass at the top. Maybe it's fully glass so you can see through. And maybe the collectibles live there. You know, the key is to contain them, give them their space, and not let them bleed out into other spaces. So for instance, I think that cabinet would be a great idea. Then I think maybe a gallery wall of some of those posters. So that again, we have that safety in numbers mentality where together they're stronger than if it was just one movie poster here and then on the other side of the room, one movie poster there. I love the idea of maybe using that gallery wall as the inspiration piece and deriving those colors for the room from that piece. Now, another thing that you'll want to think about is going back to that two-word phrase method. You know, because outside of her love of these collectibles, is there a feeling she wants her home to have? Is there a um, style that she's leaning towards? For instance, let's just say that we wanted the style to be sci-fi. Let's say we could make that a style by doing some kind of edgy, unexpected things. But let's say she wanted it to be really soothing. You know, so many of those things can have bright colors and feel pretty loud that let's just say she wanted to do zen sci-fi. That was her feeling word zen and sci-fi was the style. Well, for me, Zen means muted colors, paler colors, fewer loud pops. That would help me to curate which posters we're going to use. We're not going to use the cherry red poster or the royal blue. We're going to go more for the sage or the whites, the grays, the tans. And then when I'm pulling out those figurines to feature in the curio cabinet, I'm going to choose ones that work with that color palette from the posters that I'm using as my inspiration piece. I'm going to think of other ways to incorporate Zen. To me, that means some natural materials. And when we have these sci-fi tchotchkes, they feel anything but natural, I would imagine, if they're anything like my husband's Lord of the Rings figurines and Star Wars and all the things. Uh, so maybe we select some pieces that are made of natural wood. Maybe the curio cabinet is like natural wood with the frame and then it has the glass inset and it gives us that kind of zen feel rather than doing something metallic which might play off of the metal pieces of the figurines and just add to the coldness and the severity of that sci-fi style. So just think about what would organically feel like her. We don't wanna be designing just to combat the collectibles, we wanna be designing so that the collectibles fit seamlessly in to a larger vision. It will also help her to curate which one she's using in which room. For instance, in the living room, we might want that zen sci-fi, but in the office, we might want to go for like an energetic, maybe superhero kind of idea. You want to be careful because it can border on theme room. 
So that's why carefully choosing that two-word phrase is important. But we could definitely do something more energetic, something more lively, use those bold pops of color and those figurines that are much more colorful in a space like a home office or a gym. So think about this, but also think about clustering these pieces so that they're not just dispersed everywhere. I hope that helps you. I hope it helps your neighbor. And I have a feeling things are going to come together just beautifully with your help. Keep us posted. Send us pictures. And now it's time for a quick commercial break. Are you loving this podcast? Would you want even more interior design content? Maybe a sneak peek into how I work with my clients? Maybe uh, listening to me read a little bit in my interior design diary? Well, you will want to become a premium member. For as little as $5.99 a month, you will help to support this podcast, keeping us on the airwaves week after week, but you will also get access to our bonus archive of over 50 episodes, including a fresh monthly episode. Additionally, when you submit a question to info at Affordable Interior Design, it will get bumped to the top of the mailbag if you are a premium member. No longer will you have to wait to get your questions answered by me. So head over to affordableinteriordesign.com podcast to become a premium member today. I would really appreciate it. So my next questions came from Cherie, and Cherie actually was talking to me, exploring the idea of the Academy, and she had some follow-up questions that she sent, and so I'm going to share them with you. She writes, Betsy, I have a few questions about the Academy. Number one, I suspect that as a designer, my main competition will be vendors like Havenly or even your virtual design packages at Affordable Interior Design. The Havenly packages are $80. I think they can provide this price because of the sheer volume and the heavily marketed materials on social media. I would love to do 50 rooms at that price to break even, or I'm sorry, she says, I would have to do 50 rooms at that price to break even for the program, and that doesn't even include all my startup costs, time, etc. Your virtual plans have a base price of $400, and I would need to do quite a few at that price to break even as well. How do you compete against vendors like Havenly to sell a value-based package versus their cheap package? Essentially, why do clients choose you over vendors like Havenly? Will your program have resources to position my services as a better alternative to these inexpensive alternatives? So a lot of virtual designers, e-designers are wondering how to market themselves during these times. Now, on my website, if you go to affordableinteriordesign.com, under the home tab, you're going to see our mission. And there I outline sort of the landscape of interior design. Havenly, Modsy, those are online interior design firms, and they are kind of like the fast food of interior design. Just to be very frank, they don't pay their designers well. They do not churn out a product that's totally custom to their client. They make a lot of their margin because they have affiliations with only a handful of vendors. So if you work with them as a client, they'll only be sourcing from a few stores. And potentially the designer that you get will be very inexperienced and it's certain that he or she will be poorly paid. 
they do not properly, in my opinion, compensate their designers for that work. Now, is there a market for fast food? Heck yes! In fact, sometimes I like going to Taco Bell and just getting a bean burrito and being on my way. But the people who are looking for fast food are not going to come to affordable interior designs restaurant. We are not the cheapest kids on the block and we don't want to be a race to the bottom with Haven Lee or Decorist or some of these other firms. They can make money their way and I may have feelings about um, how ethical that is or how um, helpful that is or what that does to the market. But instead, I'm going to focus on what I'm doing and that will appeal to that person. It's just like in a town, if you have lots of different restaurant options, well, the high-end restaurants in my town where the entrees are $40 and above, is just not gonna appeal to me, but it does appeal to lots of people in my neighborhood. However, the cheap Chinese place that's a hole in the wall that has a plastic shield up and everything's $5 or less, doesn't typically appeal to me. So I'm kind of that mid-level customer. So you want to think about who you want to be working with, how your model is going to be structured. And people have asked me, they say, Betsy, you know, you're creating competitors by having the academy, by teaching your way of working. And I want to stress that there is enough work to go around. There's enough type of clients to go around who are going to be attracted to Havenly or then will be looking at Havenly and say, you know what, that's not a fit, let me try you. And we do have clients who've gone to those other services, those low-end services, and said, that was not a fit for me. We also have clients who've tried that high-end service, right, that custom interior designer with lots of markups, and come to us and been like, that was not for me. People will find you, your people will find you, and the key is to market yourself to the person you want to hire you. So make sure that you're speaking to them. Create an avatar for your ideal client and focus all your language, all your pictures, all your social media on attracting that one person, that ideal client. My ideal client is quite different from Havenly's and it is quite different from Tom Felicia's. And I am constantly speaking to that person. I made an outline of what they look like, what their job is, where they live, how many kids they have, how big their home is. I basically created a picture of my person and I'm constantly talking to her when I'm creating something new, whether it's a design package or marketing material. So guys, there's always going to be competition, no matter what field you're in. And the key is to attract people that you want to work with. Just like they don't want to work with every interior design firm, you do not want to work with every client. Let me assure you, as somebody who's worked with a billionaire, that not everyone, even if they have a large budget, is a fit for what you want to do. Let me go to your second question. You write, will I be competing against other people who take your course? So other people who are taking the course are so charitable in sharing ideas. People are located all over the country, even internationally. We have one student from New Zealand, one student from Canada. Uh, and yes, we're all marketing to people who need help with interior design. But like I said, you know, 
I have a different personality. I use a different font. I use a different color scheme. My packages are outlined differently and I'm going to draw in a different type of client. So I think that there is definitely enough to go around. Most people live in a home and most people need help with that home and that leaves a huge pool of customers. So I don't look at a scarcity mindset. Rather, I look at all the possibilities and there are oh so many, whether you want to do commercial interior design or residential. And the great thing about our academy is we have a Facebook group where everyone gets together and shares. So don't let competition scare you from following your dreams. No matter what your dream is, you will face competition. Your third question is, will your program give tips and tricks to market the services for in-person consultations as well as virtual consults? I think you make more money in person. Correct me if I'm wrong. My goal is to pursue a career in a field that I love and bring a feeling of comfort to people's homes. I don't necessarily want to roll in the dough, but still, I want to make a wise investment. Now guys, just because you are doing your passion does not mean you should not get paid for it. You need to be appropriately compensated. And the exciting thing is if you create your own package that's different than Havenly, that's different than maybe another interior designer in your area, you can set your own prices. Like certainly we have some competitors in our area, but I only look at what they're offering maybe once every six months to once a year. Most of the time, I price based on my instinct, how long things are taking me and my team to do things, what we need to make to clear our bottom line, and what we think our market can bear. You know, my clients are upper middle class, finance, doctors, lawyers, and I think about what they can bear and the value we can bring, right? So you'll wanna think about that. I do think and we do price our in-person packages more expensively than our virtual packages because we're commuting there, we're spending time on site, we are doing more of the work with the virtual package, we're asking them to take pictures and measurements, and so we do find that we can make more money in person. However, I can take more clients virtually because in person, I can only take two clients a day. Virtually, I could easily take three to five. Now, you know, that might be exhausting. I think any day taking more than three clients, whether they're virtual or in person, is really a heavy load. But that is the beauty of virtual. So yeah, I mean, I really think, and you're gonna hear me talk to, or you just heard me talk to, excuse me, Kate Clementi last week, and she recently completed the program, and Sometimes being in a group with other designers will give you so many valuable ideas. Not that you're going to copy, but listening to other people's struggles, listening to their ideas might help you figure out what fits for you, how to put together your personal puzzle. The way you build your company will not look like how I build my company. And we just don't have to worry about that in my mind. Uh, I belong to lots of business groups, right? And we sometimes have similar business models, sometimes very different. But I find that bringing a spirit of generosity and abundance to the group can really yield beautiful things. And at the end of the day, I mean, I hate to use like the snowflake analogy, but we all are quite unique. And that means that different people will feel more connected to us than others. All right, Cherie, I hope that helped. My last question for today comes from Kate. 
Kate is also a premium member and she writes, Betsy, I hope you and your team are doing well as things start to reopen. I've spent this quarantine doing lots of projects around the house and your podcast has provided me with so much inspiration. In fact, I just became a premium member. I'm hoping to get advice about your bedroom. You helped steer my color palette away from being too blushy last year. And I landed on this rug that has blues with subtle hints of mauve for inspiration. Now I feel like something is missing in my room and I just can't put my finger on it, particularly for that large wall that my bed faces. It just completely dwarfs the dresser and leaves a ton of open wall space. Do you have any idea for how to fill this wall? Do I need a bigger dresser? I was also hoping to get your opinion on the setup of my bed, rug, and nightstands. In theory, I like everything together, but something's missing, some kind of pizzazz. Does it feel old lady to you? Does the bed skirt make it feel less sophisticated? Maybe I just have unrealistic Pinteresty expectations. I'm married in my 30s and my two-word style for this room is calming transitional. I've attached pictures for reference, thinking an art print that I might like to hang should go somewhere. I really appreciate your insight. Well, yes, Kate, I totally agree with you that your bedroom feels very imbalanced. You have a nice big queen bed on one side of the room. I think it's a queen, just eyeballing it. You have two nightstands and it really fills that wall rather tightly. So we want to be thinking about balance when we're designing. And I think one thing that would help is that you've pushed the rug under the bed, which is just what we want to do, right? A rug at the foot of the bed, making a T-shape at the base of the bed but I think you can move it more towards that blank wall. Maybe you should have gotten a larger rug and oriented it more so that it could fill the space closer to the dresser. It is always nice when the rug goes, you know, close to the dresser. In other words, between 18 and 24 inches from the feet of the dresser in the front to the beginning of the rug. And I think that would help the room to feel more cohesive and pulled together. Now over on the other side, you're right, you have this big long wall and you do have a hat rack, but you know that can look a little bit messy, especially because on the other side of the dresser, um, you have jewelry hanging. So it's like you have these two sculptural, somewhat chaotic, messy hangings on the right and left of this dresser, and then you have this kind of modest dresser in the middle. Now we may want to think about, you know, if you needed more clothing storage or something like that, moving the large dresser over to the right and incorporating a tall chest next to it. But it doesn't sound like you have storage needs and that is a lot of case good on one wall. I see here that over in the corner on a very small wall, you have a very large leaning mirror. Well, that could make a beautiful statement and help to balance out the large bed on the other side. Why don't you take this dresser and move it to the left so that it's closer to the point of entry and put the leaning mirror on the right so that it's closer to the corner of the room. When you do that, as you walk in the room, your eye steps up. So it starts with that low dresser and then up, up, up it goes to the corner where you have that tall, wide leaning mirror. So, you know, think about what other functions you need. I don't like to fill the room for filling's sake, but you have other pieces in here that we can incorporate. Additionally, you have a very small hamper, um, a white plastic hamper. I think you could do a larger woven hamper that then could either be right after the floor mirror 
or between the dresser and the floor mirror. I wouldn't put it on the side of the dresser closer to the entry door because seeing a hamper when I walk in your room is not a first impression I would like to make. Uh, I love the picture of Paris that you're considering incorporating. It's gorgeous. It's inspiring. Paris is my jam. I think it feels calming because it's quite muted in tone with a lot of whites, grays, blacks, and steely blues from those beautiful rooftops in Paris. So I think you can incorporate it. It's just a matter of where. You know, you have pictures on either side of the nightstand and they are hung very high. So keep in mind, I think they're mirrors actually. Um, that, you know, if you have pictures above the nightstand, you wouldn't want to do a picture above the headboard. It's just a little busy. And if you want to remove the two mirrors because you already have a big full-length mirror on the other side of the room, well, I think putting that beautiful Paris picture above your headboard could be quite striking. All right, Kate, I hope that helped. Guys, keep sending in your questions. I love to receive them. Uh, you can send them to info at affordableinteriordesign.com. Enjoy these last gasps of summer. I know I'm going to be. And um, stay safe, everybody. Wear your masks. Until next time. Bye. A big thank you to our amazing producer, Catherine Heller, to Aton and the MBCR House Band, and to Affordable Interior Design, the sponsor of this podcast and the premier place to get an amazing look on a budget. Check out affordableinteriordesign.com. If you guys love the show, the very best way to support us is by spreading the word. Tell your friends or write us an awesome review on iTunes. So until next week, guys, thanks so much for joining us and I'll talk to you soon. Bye.